So if you guys will join me in welcoming Jeremy Fletcher up, he'll give him the word. All right. Would you guys turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at the first couple of verses. It's kind of funny. I was, uh, you know, I was praying about what to bring for this diva, what the manna was, what God's word for the people was for tonight, you know, for, for all of us. And I was praying about it. I was praying about it. And I was, I was over at Ann and Robert Bilderbox house on Sunday. We were going through a, been going through a series on, on marriage and all that. And all of a sudden, as they're speaking, it just hit me. It's like, bam, you know, this is what you're going to talk about. And so I, I got distracted from the DVD and I started writing notes about, you know, what I was, what uh, God was just giving me, you know, in that moment for tonight. And so, uh, and then I thought, well, why, this is weird. Why, why this topic? Why this particular thing? And then God really laid it on my heart and convicted me. And it says, because you need to work on this and you need to preach to yourself on this. And that's what I've been doing. And I'm going to continue doing that tonight. So maybe this is just for me. I don't know. I know at least one ear is going to hear it because uh, I need it and need more of it. And maybe the Lord willing, it will, it will touch and, and reach the spirit of God will reach you as well. And it's all about it's all about honoring your mom and dad, honoring father and mother. So will you pray with me? Lord, you've all given us earthly parents that you've put in our lives for a very specific reason. And they've brought us up in the way that they've brought us up. They've made mistakes. They've done great things. Some of them godly. Some of them have not yet given their lives to Christ. But Lord, you have blessed us with our parents. And Lord, we choose and we want to follow you in every way, shape, and form. Lord, you, you have commanded us to honor them, to obey them. And Lord, what does that look like? How do we respond? What does that look practically? Would you, would you show us tonight? Would you re- reveal in your word how you want us to interact and to treat and to love our moms and dads? So Lord, speak to us. Let your spirit pour down in great abundance right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So it says, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You guys probably remember that from the Ten Commandments. It's the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. And it's the only command that comes with that great promise that it may go well with you in the land that God has prepared for you. So what is this, this obedience part first? And first of all, the question is why? Why do we honor our mothers and fathers? And, and really, is that promise, is that the, the main reason? Is that the main motive for, for why we do that and why we should? Well, first of all, children. What does that mean? Children is, is, is encompassing all of those who, who live at home still. It's not just, you know, we little ones up to a certain age, like age 8 or age 12 or age, you know, 18 and, and all that. No, it's, it's for anyone who lives at home. And then, and then it goes beyond that. It says, honor your father and mother. And there's no attachment for age. There's no attachment for anything else, whether you live at home or not. I moved out when I was 18 years old, came down to California, went 1,200 miles away from my parents and have been here ever since. And they've, they've stayed up in Seattle. And um, it was a rough go for me at first. I, I was not a great kid to my parents. Do you believe I used, to, I used to cuss them out? 
I used to uh, defy them a lot. I'd go against them all the time. They were so good to me and gracious to me. Yeah, sure, my, you know, my mom was controlling at times, and there was these, yeah, I remember this one time that I really wanted to go and hang out with this girl I really liked, right? And so, you know, we were, we were about to get the hookup, right? And so she and, and other friends had invited, you know, me to go out to, uh, um, you know, right on the, the sound, right on the beach, you know, there in Seattle. And, and so I asked my dad, I was like, hey, dad, can I, can I go with these friends? And these were, these were good friends and, and, you know, good people and all that kind of stuff. And, and he's like, yeah, sure. I mean, go ahead and, and take the station wagon and, and you can go down there and, and hang out. Well, my mom was not home, right, at the time. And, and she was out with my grandma doing something. So she got word that my dad had let, my mo- let me go. And, and she was just furious. So she kicked him out of the house until... I got back, and then she called me, you know, and I go, what are you doing, what, you know, and, and everything was, you know, just, just controlling, you know, very annoying and all that, but what I failed to realize all along as I was growing up, how stupid I was, that my parents, with all their mistakes and, and failures and all that, they were so good to me, and they loved me, and they cared for me, and they brought me into this world, so why, why honor my mom and dad? Why do it? It's a command. Do you know that word obedience in there? It's an even stronger word than the word in Ephesians 5.22 that says that wives submit to your husbands. You know it's an even stronger command? Honor your father and mother. Obey them. That your days may be long in the land the Lord God has given you. Now, what's the opposite of that? That your days may not be well and they may be short in the land that he's given you. In fact, it was even a call for death. If you screwed up when you were a kid and you disobeyed your parents, they could take you outside the city, and they could throw rocks at you. The elders would take you outside the city walls, and they'd stone you. They'd kill the kid if you disobeyed. And even this command is still telling us that if we don't honor our father and mother, death awaits, short days. It's not going to go well with us. But what is the main motive? What is the main motive? Not, not that promise that you know everything's going to be happy and we're going to have a great life. It's, it's not that necessarily. But what about Deuteronomy 16, where it adds this, honor your father and mother because the Lord your God has commanded you to do so. As you honor your father and mother, you honor God. And if you don't honor your mom and dad, you dishonor God. You dis God. You don't honor him. You say, but, (laughs) but, there's lots of buts here, right? My parents are so annoying, you know? They're so controlling. What's your last conversation with your mom was like? What, what was it like? You got on the phone. Hey, mom. What's going on? Hey, uh, hey, son. How are you doing? Are you, are you taking care of things? Are you doing all that? Yeah. Yes, mom. I'm doing that. Taking care of that. Okay, well, you know, everybody's getting swine flu. My mom said this the other day. Now, one of, your, one of my students had swine flu, right? She's like, okay. She's, she had swine flu, right? Oh, my gosh. You got you to gotta wear a mask. You got to wear a disinfectant. You got to do all this stuff. She didn't say that. But you got you to gotta take precautions. What are you doing? Right, you're going to get it, too. If the minute you get these symptoms, you need to go and take this medication. And since she sends me all these websites, yeah, yeah, mom. Yeah, th- thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're ridiculous. <laughs> you're ridiculous, mom. It's crazy. It can be annoying sometimes, right? But she cares. But she really cares. Maybe over the top, but she cares. But what was, 
maybe your last conversation, or I should say your next conversation, my next conversation, should emulate the joy that I have in Christ Jesus. You know what that joy is? You know what the joy is? It is supernatural delight in God. Supernatural delight. Am I showing that to my parents when I get on the phone, when I talk to them, or am I just like, oh, great. They're calling again, you know, I've got to... You know, or am I showing that joy wholeheartedly? Do they see that? Do they experience that in me? Can they sense that? Am I giving that to them? Or am I just keeping that for this group or for church or for, you know, friends or whatnot? What am I doing? So the question is why? Jesus did. Jesus obeyed his parents, remember? You know, they got, they got disconnected as they were coming back, you know, um, back home, and, and they were in a caravan of many families and all that. And, you know, Jesus stayed behind in the temple, and his parents didn't know. It took a few days from, for them to find out. So they're like, dang, where'd he, where'd he go? You know, what happened to Jesus? So they go back, and they find him teaching in the temple. And his mom's like, Jesus, what are you doing? We've been worried sick about you. What's wrong? You know, what's going on? And he's like, I'm just doing the will of my father. This is, I'm, I'm about my father's business here. But... What did Jesus do? It says he was submissive to the will of his mom. He obeyed mom, and he went with them. And it says because of that, he grew in wisdom and stature. What else did Jesus do? When he was hanging on the cross, when he was suffering, after he'd been beaten and he was bleeding, and you couldn't tell who he was, so disfigured, he was in excruciating pain, he was about to die. What did he do for his mom at that moment on the cross? He saw her down there, and he said, Mom, Here's John. John, take care of mom. She's yours. Take care of her. He provided, he gave provision for his mom. And his, right before his last breath, people, he was suffering on the cross. What would you do? You're, you're about to die and you're being stoned. You're being burned. You're, being, you're hanging on a cross for goodness sake. You've suffered all that Christ has, has suffered. I mean, we can't even imagine that. But think about that. And he's hanging there. And he's like, mom, John, here, take care of her, please. Take care of mom for me, please. It just broke me. Would I do that? I don't often think about that, you know, as I'm going about the day. There's so much that could be said here, but I want to encourage you from a practical standpoint, what, standpoint, what can you do? Call your parents often. Tell them that, that you love them. Even if they're... Maybe they're not Christians. Maybe they've, just, maybe they've deserted you. They've abandoned you. And there's all different scenarios, right? I have a student that, that his mom has not been in his life for six years, and he's, he's just he's a wreck. He's got all these behavior problems, and she's, she's now finally coming back, and she's trying to take control, and it's just not working. He's rebelling even more, and all this stuff is going down. It's just horrible. But you know what? God restores. And here's what you can do. You can pray for your parents. And I would exhort you, if you are not praying for your parents, maybe they haven't come to Christ yet. Maybe they have. Whatever they're going through, whether they have or they haven't, are you praying for your parents on a daily basis? Does your heart go out for them? Do you have compassion for them? Let me tell you, I'm preaching to myself, guys. I really am. Because I don't always. Do you have compassion for your parents? Because guess what? Just as they were dependent on you, when you were infants, so just as you were dependent on them when you were infants, so they too will be dependent on you in their old age. And oh, I know, old people sometimes, man, can be annoying. They can't hear, they can't, you know, just everything's a blur. They, they forget everything. Oh, it's, it's 
It's crazy. But you know, I watched my mom take care of my grandma as she died. She was there night and day constantly for like six months before she died. And she always took care of my grandpa. My uncle was nowhere to be found. She always took care of him. She was there. And she, it was such a, it was a burden. It was a huge burden for her. But she stayed, the, the, the task, she stayed there. She never left her side. Never. And I watched it and it was a, another conviction, a testimony to me. I watched what she did. My question to you is, would you do the same? So pray for your parents. Love your parents. Buy your mom flowers. Call them up. Tell them you love them. And it was maybe difficult to do, but tell them. Because if you love Jesus, you've got to love them because he commanded it. Period. Dot. That's what the word says. And the promise, it will go well with you. Your days on this earth will be long and it will be good. Let us pray. Lord, I, I pray that um, you give me compassion for my parents, for mom and dad, more than what I've ever had before, please. And I pray for your forgiveness, Lord, for, for not doing that, for not always being there for them, for not always caring, for not always praying for them, for not always sharing the joy that I have because of what you've done for me, Jesus. So why should I keep it to myself? I want to share it with them, please. Help me to do that more and more every day. Help me to reach out to them, Lord. And even now, as they still don't know you, Jesus, wholeheartedly, I pray, Lord, that we'd be on our knees for our parents, be on my knees for mine. Come to know you in a powerful way. And may we even be disciples to our parents as they have discipled us and if they, they have encouraged us and helped us. May we reach out to them and share the love of Christ to them. Please, God. Thank you so much for our parents. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That was a good word from Jeremy. And uh, that is a good word. Just to, it kind of speaking to me, like I haven't, I don't talk to my mom that often. Our family isn't really that close. I never really was that close to my family, but... It's not really up to my mom to call me. I should really take the step and to call my mom and my brothers and my sisters and stuff like that. So, yeah, we never know. The Lord can take them at any time. And I know I'd be distraught if I didn't have the last words with my mom. So, yeah, we should honor our mothers and our fathers and seek to, to continue to pray for those who are lost, our family members, our friends, and, and for any of those who we may know or we may come across to in, in work or at school or whatever that may not know the Lord. It's, it's a serious thing. This is life and death, eternal life and death, and we need to be praying for those who don't know the Lord. So thank you, Jeremy. And tonight I'll be speaking on uh, Matthew, oh, Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 5. Last week was Matthew, Mark chapter 5. So if you guys have your Bibles, hopefully you do, you can go ahead and turn there. Mark chapter 5 is the second gospel in the New Testament. And as I was preparing for this message and just uh, kind of looking over the chapter and reading yesterday's chapter, I don't know if you guys were here before, I came and I, I gave my testimony and I kind of used the parable of the sower as a, as a way to kind of represent my life and the, the, the way that the Lord allowed me to come to him. And uh, I was practically every, every form of soil. 
I was the, the soil that, or the soil the, where the seed fell, and it was by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and snatched it away and didn't have no root. Like, that's when I first heard the gospel. I was a little kid, and I just went about my business. The enemy just snatched it away from me. I had no, no desire to follow after God. And again, the, the seed was sown, the gospel was given to me, and I was the, the, the soil that was among the stony places where it took root but had no, no, it didn't go deep enough. And soon it withered away. And then again, I was the, the soil that fell among the, or the seed that fell among the thorns, where the, the cares of this life and just the things that I was involved with, the things that I thought were fun and, and pleasurable, those things distracted me and pulled me away from seeking the Lord fully. But then there came that glorious day when the Lord allowed for me to be the good soil to where I received the word and it bore fruit in my life. And and it just, it's been an amazing thing since then. And, and that was a part of my testimony. So Acts, or not, Mark chapter 5 shows the actions that, that took place in my life. And, and it really just speaks to me of, of how, how real the Bible is and how it can just speak to our lives and the things that we go through, the things that we're a part of. So when you read the Word, I pray that you wouldn't read it just as, you know, stories or, or things that happened a long time ago or things that, you know, that just sound neat and interesting. But these are actually the, the miracles. These are the very words of Jesus Christ. This is God's spoken word to us so that we can have life, so we can have abundant life, so that we can walk knowing the truth. We can have no distractions, that we can be focused on our, on our God. And as we go into to Mark chapter 5, the first story we come across is uh, the story of a, of a man who's, who's demon-possessed. And uh, as I shared my testimony, I, I left out a short portion it's uh, in between the, the point of me being the soil among the thorns and me being the good soil, the soil that received the word of God. There's a point in my life where I, I wasn't under the power of the Holy Spirit. I did not have the power of God in my life. I wasn't under that. And whether or not, I mean, I was demon-possessed, I don't know. I haven't studied demon possession that much to where I can, I can say that with absolute certainty. But I definitely know that I wasn't under the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that I was just, I was doing crazy things and as I even read through this this chapter Mark chapter 5 and I just see the things that this man did and the things that he was enticed to do or impressed upon to do it was similar things that that I did and I mean I'll just share it with you I mean we're family I could be honest with you guys hopefully you guys receive it I don't scare you guys it's not spooky it's it's real stuff this things that happen in the Bible really happen to people today people are demon possessed well in my life I was uh, I thought I had everything I needed I thought I was successful but there came a point to where I was just, I don't know how to explain it. I can't explain it to you guys, like, how it happened. I just recognized that I, I was under the influence of something. I was doing crazy things. There was a day right before my conversion where I was just wilding out. I can't explain to you how I was, I was just doing crazy stuff. I went to my friend's house, and uh, I, I just couldn't get rest. I couldn't sleep at all. There was, I don't know why. I just could not sleep. I couldn't find no rest in my, in my mind, in my head. It felt like everything was running a mile a minute, just like there were so many things going on in my head. So I go over to her house because her dad's a pastor. I'm thinking it's a Christian house. I can sleep here. Nope. So I just went outside, and I started talking to her, and it just, there was just, it felt like I was inside my head, but there was another part of me that was just like impressing, like, just go here. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do that. And I don't know how to explain it, if that is demon possession, but it was just, it was weird. It was the weirdest day of my life. I remember uh, we got in the car, and I went to go drive to my house. And my house is on this hill. There's like a two-way street to get to my house. And there was traffic. And I remember just, I don't know why, something in my head said, like, you can go on the other side of the street because there's no cars coming. So I just whipped my car to the other side of the street, just smashing on the opposite side of the road. I, I, you can ask my friend, she was scared for her life, <laughs> and it, like she, she still, she talks about it now, and it's, it was like things like that, that just, 
I didn't know why I was doing these things. I was just, it was just what I believe was the final battle for my soul between the Lord and the, and the enemy. He was, he really wanted me and the Lord wanted me. So there was a battle going on for my soul. I mean, I went up to my house and, uh, there was a, like I was trying to do things that would allow me to, to go to sleep. I was like, I need to take a shower. I need to do this. I need to, maybe if I drink some holy water, I'll be okay. Or maybe if I get baptized, I'll be okay. All this, I'm trying to figure out how I can make myself better. And all the while in the back of my head, I'm thinking, like, I remember the gospel. I heard the gospel message. So it's like, it's like there in the back of my head, but at the same time, I'm just hearing myself just impress upon these things. Like, just, you need to go here. You need to do this. And then finally, came to the point, I went to the bathroom, and there's a light in my, my bathroom. And it has a plug to the light, and if you flip the switch, the light will work, and so will the plug. Well, I have my clippers, my little edgers, and they were t- tied up to that. Uh, well, not tied up, but they were connected to that light. And um, I knew the switch. Like, in my head, I knew the switch was off, so that it wasn't working. But I remember just filling up the sink with water. I don't know why. I just filled up the sink with water, and I put my hands in the water, and I threw the clippers in. My mom was right there, and she got spooked. Like, she was super scared. After that, she took me to the hospital. It was just, it was crazy. I didn't know what was going on again. Like, my mind's running a mile a minute. Like, I don't know. I have no control over the situation. I have, I never felt like just, it felt like, almost like I jumped out of an airplane. I had no parachute. I had nothing holding me. I was just falling. I had no control. And, I just, again, I remember hearing the gospel in my head, just like knowing the truth. And like, it was almost as if the Lord was just saying to me, you just got to surrender. You can't figure this out on your own. You just have to surrender. You have to give it up. And I remember in that hospital room, in the, the emergency room, I was, I was sitting there. I wasn't sitting there. I was sitting on the bed. And I just, I remember that I couldn't, I was like, okay, I can't do this. God, if you are real, you got to, you've got to show up. Because I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm going to be in a padded room somewhere. And I'm really going to be out of my mind. And that was really the direction I was headed. Like, they, they really, they wanted me to sign a form to go to this, uh, this place called a behavioral medical clinic. It's basically a padded room. But uh, I was like, heck, no, I ain't signing that. Like, I know I'm not crazy, but the more you shout, I'm not crazy in an emergency room. <laughs> People really think that you're crazy, so. And then the prior event, my mom, she sees me do the thing in the bathroom with the clippers, and she's tripping. So she ends up signing the form. So I'm already ready set up to go to this place. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. This is going to be on my record. They're going to look at me like I'm some kind of weirdo. And all these things are going through my mind. And then it's just like the Lord is like, surrender. Just surrender to me. And that, in that, that emergency room, I was just, I grabbed my brother and my sister. My mom was like, I don't know what to do. You guys got to just pray with me. And I, I just remember praying. I don't even remember the exact words of that prayer. It, prayed if it was like the, the, the model sinner's prayer. I just remember just confessing like, Lord, I need you in my life. And just, I, I can't explain it. I just remember Saying the name of Jesus brought so much peace. Like, everything that was going on in my life, everything I felt that I was carrying, just crying out in the name of Jesus, like, it felt like everything was just, like, everything just disappeared. Everything was just pure, clear. I laid down, fell asleep, and uh, I fell asleep for, like, two days. I woke up, and I was in that spot, the Behavior Medical Clinic. They put you on, like, on a 72-hour hold or whatever it is. And I woke up. And uh, I was like, I guess I had a day left, so I just started reading my Bible. My brother and my mom, they brought my Bible, and uh, I just started reading. And from that day, I just started walking with the Lord. I mean, I slipped up, didn't know exactly what to do, where to go, but I just continued to persevere and to, to walk with God or walk towards God and, uh, and read my word. And this is actually one of the first, the first stories that actually spoke into my life. Uh, this is one of the first, the first times I actually remember reading the Bible and actually getting a direct word from the Lord. So it was interesting to see how he has me teaching this to a bunch of people at a coffee shop. Um, but hopefully you guys will, will, the Lord will speak to you the same way or in any way that would speak into your life and cause you to draw closer to him. So before we get into it, would you guys just join me in a word of prayer?
Father, I just thank you for who you are. You're a God of peace, a God of comfort. You saved me. You saved these here, Lord. We just want to know who you are. We want to know more of you. We want to draw closer to you. Lord, we slip and, and we fall and we fall short. But your grace is so amazing, God. You still love us. You still allow us to, to have fellowship with you. So, Father, this night I ask that you would speak to your people, that you would empty me of myself, and that you would speak, Lord, that your spirit would be with us and that, uh, that you would be glorified this night. So I thank you, Lord. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Mark chapter 5. Uh, let's dive in, starting in, in verse 1. Like I said, this is the story of the, uh, the, the demoniac. So it says, uh, then, came, uh, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Well, let's stop there real quick. So if you guys remember from last or yesterday, you should have read that uh, Jesus was on the opposite side, and he, he did the parable of the sower and was preaching to the people, and he ended up just getting in the boat, and they went across the sea. They went across the sea to the other side, which is um, most of the por- portion of the, of the Gentiles. They went to the... Uh, there to the obviously to the country of the Gadarenes. The country of the Gadarenes was more of a Gentile area. So where he was with the Jews, now he's over with the Gentiles. So that's what it's talking about when it says that they went over to the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, to the to the country of the Gadarenes. And in verse two it says, "And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains." Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Let's stop there. So we see that as Jesus comes off the boat in verse 2, there's a, a man that comes out to him, and it's, he comes out from the tombs, and he has an unclean spirit. And then it kind of gives a description of this guy. He says that uh, he had his dwelling among the tombs. He lived among the tombs. He lived in an area where the, the dead were. I mean, which is, in those days, the tombs, some of the bodies would still even be exposed. So it was, a, it was an unclean place for any person to be, especially for a Jew. Jews were not allowed to come into contact with, uh, with unclean or with dead, with dead bodies and still to be able to, considered, to be considered uh, as clean. So ceremonially, he was unclean. And so he was among the tombs, and he immediately ran to Jesus. And it says that he met him, uh, that, that the man ran to Jesus. Jesus didn't go out seeking that man. And I thought that was interesting because so many times in our life, we, uh, we, we go somewhere. We, we're thinking we're going to do a ministry or we're going to do a work. Jesus, he was just going to get away from the place that he was at, just going about his daily business and daily activities. And ministry was brought to him. This man came to him. And so often in our lives... The Lord will use us in the area we're at. And we don't have to go seek out ministry. Ministry will come to us. As we're being obedient to God and seeking to know him, the Lord will bring ministry to us. I mean, I pray that he doesn't bring demoniacs to you, but hopefully he just brings people that you can minister to. Like maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's, maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad, your little brother, the, 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 a little annoying kid down the street that maybe just wants you to share the love of Christ with them. Ministry will come to you. Ministry came to Jesus and, uh, and Jesus dealt with it. And here it goes. It says that in verse 2 that, uh, that the man met him out of the tombs, and the man had an unclean spirit. 
So obviously an unclean spirit is not the spirit of God, it's the spirit of the enemy. And there's only two sides. There's God's side and there's the enemy's side, the side of Satan. So if it's not the spirit of God, it's the spirit of the enemy. So this man had an unclean spirit. And in verse 3 it says that he had his dwelling among the tombs and that no one could bind him, not even with chains. So that it, he's in the tombs. People had been trying to chain him up, trying to put chains on him. But this man, he was breaking chains, breaking shackles. Like these had to be some, it's like breaking, someone seeing someone break through some handcuffs today. Like, that's some, that's some strength, and it's superhuman strength. And there are, the enemy can do superhuman things. He can, he can give a person superhuman strength. I've heard accounts to where there have been people that have been demon-possessed. I mean, I haven't seen it from my own two eyes, but an account that I heard, there was a lady who was about 5'2", like just a short old lady. She was just, and she was possessed with, a, with an evil spirit, with an unclean spirit. And it took they said like four or five, maybe six guys to wrestle her down, like big buff guys to try to wrestle her down because she just had this, this crazy strength. And it's a strength that was given to her from, from the enemy the, that the demon had. And this man, he was possessed with a demon. He had, an, un, he had a, an unusual amount of strength. He had a superhuman strength. And he was breaking shackles and chains. And, and no one combined him. And it says in the, in the end of verse 4 that, uh, that neither could anyone tame him. No one could tame him. Like, when I think of tame, I think, you know, like a lion tamer. Like, they, if a lion tamer tames a lion, he's just sitting there. He's calm. He's quiet. The lion does what, he does, that it, what the, the, the master wants it to do. There was no one that could tame him. There was no one in the, in the region that could tame him until Christ came across the sea. And this man comes running to him and, and falls to his feet. There's one who has control over all things, and that's our God. He has control over the winds. He has control over the sea. He has control over the situations in your life. He has control over the, the supernatural. He has control over the, the, the evil spirits. He has control over the enemy. We see even in the book of Job, when, when Satan sought to, to, to get Job, he had to go and seek permission from God to, before he could do anything to him. Per- God is in control of all things. When we say God is sovereign, that means God is in control. He has all power. He has, he has every ability to be in control of every situation, and he is in control of every situation. He is, he's written the book. He knows the end of the story. He knows how it's going to play out. So whatever the situation you may be facing in your life or situations that you may have faced in the past, God was in control. And we know from the scriptures, the promise of Romans eight twenty eight, that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And that's what happens here in this man's life. This, these things will work together for good, as we'll see later on in the chapter. These things will work together for good in this man's life. And I would say that for us, that the things that we may experience, the things that we, we may go through, they will work together for good. It may not see, seem like it. It may not look like it at the time. It may seem hard. It may suck. It may, you just be, have, feel like you have a cloud following you everywhere you go. But God will work it together for good. We just have to trust him. And we can trust him because we know our God is faithful. We know our God is, is he never changes. He's the same today. He's a, he was the same yesterday. He's going to be the same forever. Our God is powerful, and our God can do all things. He's in control of all things. He was in control of this man's situation here. So in, uh, in verse 5, we continue. It says that, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This man was, was he was, he couldn't control himself. He was cut himself. What person in their right, not, in right mind would, would cut themselves with, with stones? This man, was, he was possessed by an, an evil spirit. And similar to like how I explained to you guys earlier, like I don't know why I, I threw those clippers in. I don't know why I was driving on the opposite stri- side of the street. It wasn't by the power of the spirit of God. God wasn't causing me to drive on the opposite side of the street. But the enemy seems, he wants to distract. 
I mean, we read in John 10.10 10, that the enemy, he's a, he's a deceiver. He's a, he wants to, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy those who are made in the image of God. We know from Genesis that when God created us, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them in the image of God. That we are created in the image of God. We, we bear the name of God in, in, just in our makeup. And the enemy, he seeks to destroy that. He wants to distort that. He wants to destroy it in whatever way he can. And he's trying to distor- destroy this man here. I mean, he, he allows this man to, to cut himself and, and to, to be crying out all the days in the tombs. He's cutting himself. So we get a kind of a background of this guy, this, this demoniac. He's, he's crazy. He has superhuman strength. He's been cutting himself. He's been crying out. He's in a hopeless situation. He's living among the tombs. I mean, he has no friends, no family. No one's kicking it there with him. And we read in other accounts that there's two men there in other Gospels. But this seems to be the more severe case. And that's why Mark is addressing it here. It's the more severe case. But nevertheless, God is in control of the situation. And in verse 6, it says, when, Jesus from a, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. So it's like, okay, this man is, is crazy. He's, he's wilding out. He's cutting himself. He's, he's got superhuman strength. But as soon as he sees Jesus... He runs to him and worships him. I mean, a lot of times when we hear the word worship, we think of, you know, singing songs. So was this man over there running and he's singing, Hosanna? No, he wasn't singing. He wasn't worshiping like that. The word worship can simply mean that he was, he's had a reverence. He fell to his faith in reverence, recognizing that this was, the, this was the, the man of God. This was the son of God. This is the one who possessed power. I mean, in, in the chapter yesterday, we see that when they came across the sea that there was a, a big storm. And Jesus calmed the, the wind and the sea. He said, peace be still. And they'd all just stopped. This man had control over the, the winds and the sea. He had control over every situation. He had control of this man's life. Even in this situation. And the man, he came and he fell down to worship the one who had control. And he fell and he worshiped. And we know that just from the Bible, that it says that in Romans fourteen eleven it says, uh, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And this man, he's, just, he's getting a head start. He wasn't doing it out of love. He wasn't bowing and worshiping God out of love. He was worshiping out him out of obligation. I mean, he had to. He was under the, the submission. He was under the power of the almighty God. And it just paints a picture in my mind. When we worship, how do we worship? Are we, are we worshiping because we have to? Are you here at this Bible study because you have to be here? Because your parents made you come here? Do you go to church because your parents want you to go to church? Do you feel like you're checking the box? I'm a good Christian today. Are you praying because you feel like you have to? That shouldn't be our motivation. Our motivation should be because we love our God, because we serve a great God. I know why I worship my God. He's delivered me. If it wasn't for him, I would be in a padded room somewhere, just wilding out. A lot of us would be in situations we don't even want to think about. He saved us from a lifestyle that just led to destruction. We were headed to hell. But he sent his son that we can have life and we can have that abundantly. That's the reason we should worship him. Don't worship God out of obligation. If you're reading your Bible just because you, you feel someone told you to or you feel that's the right thing to do, I mean, that's a good thing. You should read your Bible. But you should read your Bible expecting to hear from God, knowing that he wants to speak to you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He sent his son to die for you individually. He knows exactly where you're at. He has power over your life. He has power over all of our lives. He has power over every situation. And we see it in the, the, even in the life of this man here, that he fell down and worshipped him. We should always fall down and worship God. Everything we do should be considered a form of worship. 
From the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go to sleep, you should be worshiping God. Everything you do, whether we eat or we drink or whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. And I pray that that would be our heart's desires, that we would worship God in everything we do, not out of obligation, but out of a love for our great king. So let's continue on into verse 7 and 8. Now, in verse 7, it says, And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of, the, son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of, come out of the man, unclean spirit. So we look at this. We see that this man, he confesses Jesus to be God. He says, you know, What have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? And in that day, in this culture, it was, it was considered, it was kind of like a superstition. For if an individual knew the complete name of another individual, it was to, to have authority over them or to have power over them. So in a way, when this, this demon responds, he's saying, he's, he's calling out Jesus, kind of painting the picture for those who are around that in a sense that the, the unclean spirit would have the upper hand in the situation. Because remember, not everyone who was following him believed. He's in a Gentile nation. They're seeing this guy who has superhuman strength. They're thinking that the power that lies within this man is greater than the power that lies within the man that just approached him. And that's not true. Because the power that lied within Jesus was greater than any other power that could ever, that could ever be or that whatever was. This man had to... He recognized that Jesus was the Son of God, and he calls it out. He says, you are the Son of the Most High God. We see that even though he, he named it, he claimed it, he didn't believe it. It's, an, it's, enough, it's not enough just to, to say that Jesus is Lord. Unless you believe it in your heart, that's when you're saved. We know the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then, then you will be saved. This man simply made a profession, but his heart wasn't right. And we see that, I mean, as you look at these verses... It's kind of almost backwards how they paint the picture. Christ, as soon as the man comes up to him, Christ says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then the man responds and says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? And Jesus immediately tells the, the spirit to come out of him. And we see in, in times past, just in this, in this book, that when Jesus approaches the, the demonically possessed, that he tells them to be quiet. He doesn't want them to, to co-sign on who he is. He doesn't need the, the enemy to, to announce who he is or who, we, who he is coming to be. His works will demonstrate who he is. The, power that he, the, the fact that he has the power to heal, the fact that he has the power to raise the dead that we'll see later, the fact that he has the power to, to just be in to control of all situations, the fact that he has the power to stop the winds and the sea, that points to his deity. He is God. He is the Most High. And this man proclaims it here. And he says, uh, so Jesus says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then he responds and says, um, what have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I implore you, do not torment me. So the, the, the demon, he's asking not to be tormented. What is, what is torment for a demon? I think as we look for, uh, as we continue to go through this chapter, we'll see what he would consider to be torment. So let's continue to move through. He says, uh, in verse 9, Jesus asked him, says, then, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out and he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mount. And a large herd of swine was, was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons 
begged him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter them. Verse 13, And at once Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Let's stop there. So we see that Jesus calls out this, this man. He says, What is your name? And when the man answers, he says, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, the word legion, it's a, it's a term used in, in a, it would be a military term, and it would be used to be described 6,000 uh, infantry soldiers. So when he says legion, it's not necessarily that this man's name is legion. But it's signifying that there's many, there are many demons and that they're, they're unified. They're ready to rock and roll. They're ready to get out there and, and to do damage. So they're saying it in a way almost to intimidate Jesus. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't play into that. Jesus, he knows the power that's within him. It's greater than, than the power that's within this man. So he says, what is your name? And the man says, my name is Legion, for we are many, as if the man was going to uh, intimidate Jesus. And then he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now we read from other uh, gospel accounts that, that uh, and I think it's in Luke, it's, it is in Luke, Luke chapter 8, the same account, they asked not to be sent into the abyss, that they wouldn't be able, to, they wouldn't be sent to be idle, basically, to do nothing. These demons, they were sent to do the work of the enemy. The enemy, like I said before, he's sent to, to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what the enemy seeks to do. And these demons were simply doing that. That's what they were desiring to do. They wanted to destroy this man. They wanted to destroy anything. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see that, that they asked to be cast into the swine because they, they, they wanted nothing more than to just to, to cause destruction, to cause people to, to fear them. I mean, they even tried to intimidate Jesus by saying, you know, my name is Legion. We are many. And they tried to intimidate this, this, this uh, they tried to intimidate the people that are surrounding by being cast into the swine. But notice that they have to ask permission. And it says that permission was given them. That these unclean spirits had to ask for permission from, from Jesus because he was God. And it was by the, by the spoken word of Jesus that they were allowed to enter into the swine. So when Jesus allows them to enter into the swine, it says that the swine were on the hill and there was about 2,000. And that the herd of swine, they fled and they, uh, the herd of the swine, they, uh, they ran violently down the steep place into the sea and they drowned in the sea. So we see with the result of what happened to the swine, you see the intent of what it was for, for that the demons wanted to do to the man with the unclean spirit. They wanted to destroy him. Just, that they, just like they destroyed the swine, they wanted to destroy this man. And since they couldn't destroy the man, they were going to inflict fear on whoever saw. They, um, there was a, an old superstition, as, as I heard it, that those people in that region or in that culture, they believed that, that evil spirits were lying at the, the bottom of, of deep bodies of water. Just because, I guess, of, of the flood and, and how the rain fell upon the, on the earth, because of all the wickedness that was there, that, that evil spirits and all the wickedness lay at the deep bodies of water. So when the swine run into the water, it's almost as if they're playing into the superstition of the people in that surrounding area, causing them to believe more that, you know, that there are evil spirits in there. And we see kind of evidence of that when, when Jesus was walking on the water and the disciples, they were all scared. They're like, oh, it's a ghost. They, they were playing into that superstition that, that there were evil spirits at the, body, at the bottom of deep bodies of water. But that wasn't the case. It was just, it was just the enemy trying to do another distraction to, to pull people away from the truth of, of who God was and the power that, lied within, that lies within God. We can know that we have victory. 
There's nothing that can, that can harm us. The enemy, yeah, he may try to knock us down. He may try to destroy us, cause us to, to do harm to ourselves. But greater is he who is in us, speaking of the Holy Spirit of God, than he who is in the world. And he has overcome the world. That same spirit, that same spirit that had the power to heal the blind, the same spirit that had the power to, to raise the dead, the same spirit that raised Jesus' body from the dead is the same spirit that you have in your life, that you have in your, in your temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when things may look like situations that you can't control or, or maybe it's your, you're walking out of the grocery store and you just see that weird-looking guy standing over there, you don't have to fear because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in our God. We can know that we have victory because we have a great God. We have a victorious God. We know the end of the story. Jesus is powerful. His name is powerful. And we are his sons and daughters. So we have that same power living within us. By the power of his Holy Spirit, we can know that we have victory. So we look, uh, continuing into, into verse 14. In verse 14, it says, uh, So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city, and they told it, or they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see, and they went out to see what had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had who had been demon possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. So it's interesting here. We see now. The, the people who own the swine. It says that they were feeding the swine. So, I mean, who feeds swine? Like, it's not like you, back in those days, you hear people saying, like, what are you going to do this weekend? Oh, just go chill, go kick it, go feed a couple pigs, you know, just hang out. It's not like they were doing that. It wasn't, it wasn't even considered a clean practice to, to be an owner of swine. But remember, they're in a Gentile region, so we can't assume that they were Jews, but it wasn't something that they would do is, is be feeding swine unless they were doing it for a purpose. And the purpose was for a profit. They were using these pigs to, to make a profit. So these, these men, they were feeding swine. And when they seen this happen to their swine, they ran to the city, told a bunch of people, and the people came back out with them. And when they, they came back out, what did they see? They seen a, a miracle before their eyes, yet they didn't recognize it, but it was a miracle nonetheless. They seen the man who had the legion, the man who had been demon-possessed, the one who was crying out, who was cutting himself, who lived among the tombs. He was clothed, and he was in his right mind. And they were afraid, the Bible says. They were afraid. Why would they be afraid? You would think that they would be more afraid when he was in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself. But now that he's clothed and in his right mind, they're afraid. It's, it just paints a picture in my mind. When I, when I came to that point, to where I cried out to the Lord and he delivered me. I felt like the day I left that place, that, that, that little hospital place, I felt like I was that man who was clothed and in his right mind. And when I came out, I felt like when I went to go share with my friends and talk to people, they were afraid. Like, they didn't know what happened to me. And, I mean, I, can, I, I can't blame them. Like, that's a weird situation. Like, how do you respond to that? How do you see your best friend or someone you know so closely to be like this little party guy now he's just tripping out and all of a sudden now he's just talking about jesus all the time like they were afraid they they were they were like they didn't understand what was going on and i think that's what's happening to these people here they didn't understand what happened they missed it and i think partially it's because they were so caught up in their possessions they were so caught up in their pigs being destroyed that they couldn't see the miracle that was taking place before their very eyes they couldn't see the deliverance that was in jesus christ 
They were so tied up in the things that they had, the things that they, the plans that they made for themselves, that they couldn't see the miracles of God that, that he wanted to do in their life. We know that all things work together for good. I'm sure it was that God allowed and Jesus commanded those swine to be destroyed so these men can be delivered from the situation they were in. So they wouldn't no longer be attached to these swine, to these pigs, to these unclean things. God doesn't want us to be attached to unclean things. He doesn't want us to, to, to be hanging out with the pigs, to be hanging out with the swine. He has better things for us. He has better plans for us. But if we allow ourselves to be distracted by the things of this world, the things that, that we choose to, to possess or the things that we choose to seek after, we can miss the very things that God has for us. And I'm not saying that, you know, having good things or having success or having a nice career is a bad thing. But when it takes the place of God, it, it is. When it distracts you from the things of God, it is. And you need to repent. You need to turn to God and ask him for forgiveness, that your mind would be right and that you would be focused on him and what he has for your life, his plan and purpose, that you would allow him to direct your steps. And these men, they didn't see that. They completely missed it. I mean, it produced in them a sense of fear. I mean, and it's good to have a fear of God, to recognize that our God is great. He is powerful. He is holy. But it's the way you respond after that fear, what results of that fear, which will indicate how you're going to live the rest of your life. When you recognize that fear, if it causes you to fall to your knees and reverence God and to cry out to him and recognize him for who he is, that's a good thing because you'll head down the right path. You'll start to seek after him, seeking to honor him, seeking to live by his standards and by his commandments. But if you're like these men, they seen it and they were afraid. And you see the next thing that they ask him to do. They ask him to depart from their region. The most powerful man on the face of the planet, the most powerful man that will ever be, is right there before them, and they ask him to leave. Why? Because they had a desire for possessions? They had a desire for riches? I pray that those things wouldn't get in your way. God has great plans for your life. He has great plans for you. Don't allow anything to get in the way of that, no matter what it is. God is all-powerful. He wants to do amazing things in your life. You just have to be submitted to him. Respond correctly. Respond rightly. Choose to obey him. Choose to follow after him. And we see that's what the the man who was demon-possessed, that he wanted to do. And we'll continue on and we'll read that. Continuing on to the next verses. It says in, um, sorry, in, in verse 18, And when he got into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. This was the first commission that the Lord ever gave me. This is the first time that the Lord ever spoke to me. He said, Go home. Go to your friends and tell them the great things that God has done for you. That was what I believe that the Lord spoke to me said, go home and tell your friends. That's the reason why I shared this story with you to, to open up of what happened in, in my life. Because you guys are my friends. And I share that with you. To, to, just to show you the marvelous works that God can do in an individual's life. Not that I'm special or that I'm, I'm unique. God can work in that way in your life or anyone's life. It's simply by his choice. But that's what I was commanded to do. That's what the Lord commanded this man. This man, he wanted to go with Jesus. Which is a, you know, a great thing to do. 
I mean, after we get saved, the first thing we should do is desire to walk after Jesus. But he wanted to depart from the region he was at and to follow Jesus back into, into where he was going, into, the, into his ministry. But the Lord had another ministry planned for him. He said, go home. Go to the people that you know. Go to your friends. Tell them of the marvelous works that Jesus has done. Tell them, of, tell them your testimony. Tell them the things that God has done in your life. Because who else is going to do it? If that man had left that region, which was a, a, a largely Gentile region, who would have preached the gospel? Who would have showed them the marvelous works of God? Who would have been able to, to give a powerful testimony such as this man? And I think it's the same for me. It's the same for all of us. There is a, a level of influence that you have, maybe with a certain group of people, maybe just a, a place. People will hear from you. People will receive from you just because of your unique personality or the way you talk or the way you look, the way you dress. People will be able to receive from you. That's your ministry. Be faithful to preach the marvelous works of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. You don't have to be an evangelist with a name badge to, to, to know that that's your ministry. Just be faithful to what the Lord presents before you. Jesus was just going about his business, and all of a sudden this demoniac comes across him, and he ends up sharing with them and, and, and delivering this man from a situation. How do you know that the Lord wouldn't use you to deliver people from their situations? to deliver them from bondage, to deliver them from sin, to deliver them from a life of, that's heading to hell. Go home and preach to your friends. Preach to those that you have an, in, an impact on. And just tell them of the marvelous works of God. You, may not, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have a, the, a, a bachelor's in theology. All you have to do is know what Christ has done in your life and share that. That's your testimony. That's, a, a, that's the powerful truth of the gospel. No one can deny the fact of what happened in your life. No one can deny what happened in my life. I mean, they may doubt it or question it, but I know what happened, and it was real to me. It changed my life. It caused me to, to never even want to look back in that direction because I know what that life is, and we all know what that life has, and we've been given life in that abundantly, and we should seek to give that gift or give that, that option for an, an individual to grab onto that gift and to have the hope of heaven. So Jesus told this man to go home and to share how the Lord had compassion on him, and that's what we're called to do is to share what God has done in our lives. So we continue on into this next story, and it talks about how this uh, a, a rich ruler comes to him, or the ruler of a synagogue comes to him, and he has a, a daughter who's ill. So let's just dive in and read, and it starts in verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogues came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, He fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Let's stop there. So we see this man, Jairus. He's a ruler of a synagogue. Ruler of a synagogue would be pretty much almost the equivalent of a pastor nowadays. Synagogues would be a place of worship, apart from the, the, the holy temple, they would have little uh, buildings set up where they can come and worship, where they wouldn't have to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship. So this man, Jairus, was a, a ruler of a synagogue. So he would have been more of a, a well-off man. And uh, he comes to Jesus. And we see the first thing that he does is the fact that he, he comes to Jesus. He recognizes that the only way he can have deliverance, the only way he can have help is by going to this man who has power over all these things. And what does he do? He falls at the feet of Jesus. Think of this. Pastor Greg, imagine seeing Pastor Greg or any large known pastor just fall on their knees before a man. 
It'd be a humbling experience for that individual. Jairus humbled himself. He humbled himself before Christ and laid his positions at his feet. And I think it paints an excellent picture for us in how we can approach God when we come to him in prayer. We come to him. We don't go to anybody else. We don't need to go to a pastor or a priest or, or anyone else. We can go directly to the source. We can go directly to Jesus and fall at his feet and call out to him. It says that he begged him earnestly. He begged him. He laid his situation out. He said, my daughter's sick. She's at the point of death. And he believed. He said, if you will come and lay your hands on her, she may be healed and she will live. This man believed. He believed that Jesus would be able to heal his daughter. When we approach God in our prayer lives, I pray that we would humble ourselves and that we would just believe that Christ can do the things that we need for him to do in our lives. Recognizing that he's in complete control and he has complete sovereignty over every situation, whether he chooses to work or not to work. As we humble ourselves and lay our petitions before him, we need to believe and, and know that he can work. And he will work in, in, he's working in this situation here. And I think it's penned and it's written down so that we can see and we can find, we can just find a, a sense of just knowing that it, it is a reality. It's not something that will just happen once in a while, but it actually happened here. And it's happened in so many of our lives where our prayers have been answered. And we can know that. And we need to continue to share those things so that other people can be encouraged and know that their prayers can be answered as well. So let's continue on into verse 25. It says, And then a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him and in the crowd and, and, in the crowd and touched his garment. And she said, If I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of, the, of, of her afflictions. And Jesus immediately, knowing that power, or that in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, or who touched me, or who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around and saw her who had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So we see the story here. It kind of interrupts the story of Jairus, where this woman who has an issue of blood, and says that she had this issue for 12 years. 12 years is a long time. That's, that's like half of my life. She's had this affliction. She's been suffering for 12 years. And it says that she, she's been seeking to, to find uh, healing. She's been seeking to, to, to find a way to be delivered from this. It says, it says that she suffered many things from many physicians, and she spent all that she had. I mean, I believe in our lives there's things that we may be afflicted with. There's things that we may be suffering from. We may spend everything that we have to try to seek to be healed. We may seek. Maybe we're suffering in the department of pleasure, and we're seeking to be healed by seeking after our own pleasures. Or there's something that we're seeking success. We're suffering in the area of success. Maybe we don't feel that we're successful enough, and we're seeking to, to, to be healed in that area. And we seek it out of, out of our own selfish desires to be successful, and we do anything and everything we can. And we still come to the point of, des- of desperation, just like this woman here. She spent all that she had, and she was, she was not nothing better. She was not even a little bit better. So she even grew worse. 
And apart from the work of Jesus Christ, apart from the work of the Lord in our lives, nothing's going to work. We won't be healed apart from him. So we need to go to the source knowing that he can heal just as he, as he heals this woman here. We don't need to waste our, our, our time or any of our, our resources on other sources. We need to go directly to the source, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and allow him for, for him to heal. And it says that um, in verse 27 that she heard about Jesus and she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Because she said in herself that if I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. This woman had faith. It says that there was a multitude. There was a multitude of people following. There's a grip of people following him. Everybody's just bumping up against him, bumping up against him. But this one woman, she comes up behind him, and she's just believing if she can just touch the very hem of his garment, that she'll be made well. And I think it paints an interesting picture for us. There's so many people that'll bump up to Jesus. You know, they'll bump into Jesus on a Sunday morning, or they'll bump into Jesus on a Wednesday service. But they're not reaching out to Jesus. They're not reaching out in faith, reaching out to to know him, to be healed by him, to have fellowship with him. I pray that we would always reach out to Jesus with the right heart, not just casually, not just being with the crowd because it's the cool thing to do, or there's pretty girls at the Bible study, so I'm going to go there, or there's a cute guy that's teaching, so I'm going to go there. I pray that we would have the right heart at all times, that we would always seek to, to reach out in faith, and that we would always seek to reach out to Jesus, not just casually, but with a sincerity of heart, knowing that he can heal us and that he can deliver us from whatever situation he is, it is that we're in. This woman reaches out, and she's healed. It says that immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and that she was, she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus knew that immediately that power went, out, went from, out him, from within him. And he turned around and he asked, Who has touched my clothes? It's an interesting thing that Jesus called it out. He knew that power went from without him, and he called it out. He said, who touched me? Was it because Jesus didn't know who touched him? No. I sincerely doubt it. Jesus knew all things. He was God. He knew all things. He gave it as an opportunity for this woman to testify of what happened to her. And this woman, it says, it says first of all, that the disciples, they look at Jesus like, almost like he's crazy. Like, man, you see all these people around you, and you're going to say, who touched you? But Jesus said that he knew he had a, uh, there was a purpose for him calling this out. It was because he wanted this woman to, to have a, a testimony so that she can know for, for a fact that she was healed. Because she could have easily touched him and just ran away and then been down like, was I really healed? Was, was I really healed? But when Jesus affirms the, the fact that she was healed, it sets in her mind knowing that she was truly healed and that she can walk in that, knowing that she's been changed and she's been transformed. So he says, who touched me? And the woman, she confesses. And he says that the woman fell down before him and told him the whole truth. When we know that there's something that's wrong with us, when we have an affliction and we go directly to the source and we request for healing, we need to confess everything before him. Would you go to a doctor and not tell him all the symptoms that you have? No. Our God is the ultimate physician. He needs to know what's wrong with us. He wants to know what's going on in our lives. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to talk to us. We need to confess everything before him. And allow for healing to take place. And Jesus responds to her confession. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He calls her daughter. That's an affectionate name. He calls her daughter. He says the same to you and I. Son, daughter, you are healed. 
You've been delivered. You've been delivered from bondage. You've been delivered from sin. You don't have to continue to fall in sin. Confess before me. The Bible says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confess. Allow for the Lord to heal. He will. And he will allow you to walk in that newness of life. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. You can walk knowing that your life has been changed by the power of him. This woman was changed. She was transformed. She was healed. And let's continue on. We can get back to the story of Jairus. In verse 35, it says, While he was still speaking, some came to him from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. That's a powerful, powerful statement by the king. He said, as soon as he heard it, as soon as he heard that, that this man could have an opportunity to doubt, he looks directly at him. I just pictured in my mind just looking intently at him and said, do not be afraid. Only believe. God is saying the same thing to you. Do not be afraid. Who cares what the situation may look like? Do not be afraid. Only believe. Believe in what? Believe in his word. What did Jairus have to believe in? He had nothing else to believe in but the word of this man who's telling him. He had nothing to believe in but the word of God. We have nothing to believe in but the word of God. The word of God is powerful. This is where we find truth. This is where we find stability for our lives. We believe in the word of God. We don't have to be afraid because we can believe and know that this is true. He told Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. And so he continues on in verse 37. He says, and he permitted no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult of those who wept and wailed loudly. And then he came and said to them, why are you making this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them out all out of the house, or when they put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and that something should be given to her to eat. So we see here that right after Jesus tells him this man to believe, he said, don't be afraid, only believe, he takes with him Peter, James, and John. And this is like known as the, the inner circle. These are the same three that were able to see or be at the Mount of Transfiguration when, when Jesus was transfigured with, uh, with Moses and Elijah. He takes them with him, and he, uh, he comes to the house, and it says, and when he comes to the house, that he sees uh, a tumult of, of those who wept and, and wailed loudly. And it was a custom at that time when, when someone would pass away that you would hire professional mourners, people that would be hired to, to cry professionally, to, to grieve for the bodies, which seems kind of weird to us, but, I mean, that was the custom back in the day. Like, you would hire. And this, this man, Jairus, he was a ruler of a synagogue. So it's, 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 I guess it's best to say that he, was, he had some kind of cash, obviously, to have wailers, to have people that he could hire to, uh, to, to mourn for his daughter. But when Jesus sees his people wailing, he says, why do you well or why do you make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but, but sleeping. 
and they ridiculed him. But when, and he said that they ridiculed him. They, they, they laughed at him. It's funny how they go from weeping to all of a sudden making fun of somebody and ridiculing Jesus. So it shows that they're, obviously they weren't, they weren't mourning out of, a, out of a true heart. But anyways, Jesus comes to them and he says, why do you weep and wail? Why do you make all this commotion? Jesus was, was allowing for, for Jairus to have faith. He sees the demonstration, he sees the acts of Jesus and how Jesus is not assuming that this girl is dead or Jesus is not pointing to the, the fact that she's dead or that she's died, but he says that she's sleeping. So this man again can take comfort in the words of Jesus. If he's believing in the word of God, if he's believing in the very man who is the word of God, he's believing in his words knowing that she, she is sleeping. So they proceed to go in the house and um, the mother of the child and the father go with them where the child was lying. And he took the child by the hand, and he says to her, Talitha, kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And this little girl, she's been taken by the hand, and she, she comes back to life. This girl was 12 years of age, which is interesting, because the woman who had the, the issue of blood was, had the issue of blood for 12 years of age. She was living a life of, of darkness for, for 12 years, just being afflicted for 12 years. And Jairus, he had 12 years of just, of just joy, He's spending it with his daughter, and all of a sudden it's been taken away from him. Jesus works in the life of both of these individuals. It, it shows like a kind of a just different sets of circumstances. You see, the woman, she was poor. It doesn't even give us her name in the Bible. It doesn't even say that she was anyone who was anyone that was important. But the man Jairus, he was rich, he had whalers, he had joy, he was a ruler of a synagogue. He had everything going for him, so it seemed. But yet he still needed the help of Jesus. The woman still needed the help of Jesus. No matter what situation you're in, whether you're rich or poor, you're a boy, you're a girl, you're young, you're old, we all need Jesus. We all need his touch. We all need for him to reach out to us and to lift us up, to allow us to continue to walk forward and to push forward in this life. Jesus raises this girl from the dead, also demonstrating his power, demonstrating his deity. Jesus, when... He was questioned by the disciples of John when John was in prison. He, John sent his disciples out to Jesus and asked him, no, is, it, is it you that we are looking for or should we wait for another? And Jesus tells him to go back and tell John the things that you see, that the lame have been healed, and that the, uh, the lepers have been cleansed, that the blind see, and that the dead have been raised. Proof that he is who was expected to be coming, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who would redeem all and allow for a right relationship to be had with the Father. That was the work that Jesus came to do. Jesus was that king. He was that Messiah. And he demonstrates that in allowing this, this little girl to, to be raised back to life. And it says that immediately the girl arose and she walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know, that no one should know it and that something should be given her to eat. It said that they were amazed. When God works... People will be amazed. People will be amazed at the life transformation that he has allowed to happen in your life. People that knew you in your past, people that may have, have hung out with you, may have partied with you, maybe have been you know, your, your right-hand man, your partner in crime, they will be amazed at the work that Christ has done in your life. I mean, I can testify to myself. Like, I know my friends are amazed. They're like, what, what happened to you? I mean, I thought you were crazy, and now you just seem to have so much joy. You seem to have so much peace. You seem to have, like, a lot of friends that actually care about you. And I always begging you for money. He have, he, I've been blessed, and you've been blessed as well. We all have friends. We have, we have, 
we have the, the testimony of what God has done in our lives. And it's a great thing. And I pray that you wouldn't hide that, that you wouldn't conceal that, that whatever situation God puts you in in your life, whatever, your, whatever classroom he puts you in, whatever line he puts you in at the grocery store, that you would seek to use it as an opportunity to glorify God, that you would allow his, plow, his power to be present in your life, that you would walk in the spirit, that you'd be led by the spirit, that you would recognize that God is good, that he is in control, and that we don't need to be afraid, that he has promised us great things. He's given us his word to know him, and that we, if we would just commit to know him and walk with him every single day, that he would reveal to us himself, and we'd be able to share the truth of who he is with everybody. That everyone we come into contact with, we'd be able to testify of his great works, of his great power, of his deliverance, of his healing power, of his ability to raise us again from the dead, of the promise of heaven. We'd be able to speak of these things because we know his word. But we can't know these things if we're not in his word. So I pray that you would commit tonight, if you haven't already, to continue to know God, that you would make time to read his, to re, to read his word, to read your Bible. That you, would, you wouldn't just... See it as an opportunity to bump into Jesus, to just be one of the many that, that come around Jesus or come around the church or that just are surrounded because it's the cool thing to do, but that you would reach out to him in faith, that you would reach out to know him and that he would know you and that you would have a relationship and that you would walk with him all the days of your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for just the great God that you are. Father, I pray that you would work in the lives of each person here, that they would seek to know you in a greater way, Lord, that they wouldn't be comfortable in the place they are with you in their walk, that they would seek to to walk forward, that they would take steps, that they wouldn't allow the circumstances of their life to crowd their vision, to allow them to be distracted, but that they would stay focused on you, that they would commit themselves to walk with you every single day, that every moment of every day would be an opportunity for them to to sing your praises, to worship you, to glorify you for who you are. Father, I just thank you for this time. I pray that you would bless each of these as they go. We thank you, God. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.